You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Good morning. Today is December the 22nd, and I hope you're having a great holiday season. Today, I want to talk to you about the seven ways, the seven calls that God has in a Christian's life. And these seven things are straight from Scripture, so here we go. Uh, the first one is that God calls us to salvation. Romans eight twenty-eight through 30 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That last verse is describing salvation. Uh, God first justifies us. Before we did anything good or bad, God chooses to save us. God chooses to intervene. God chooses to declare us holy and the next step after that is sanctification. Let's be what we are legally on paper. Uh, and once we've been sanctified, we will be glorified. We're going to die and we're going to put on new bodies and we're going to be holy as God is holy. We're going to be perfectly glorified as Jesus is glorified. The second one is sanctification. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And he goes on to talk about that. But that is God's will for you, to be sanctified. I love this verse, by the way, because there are so many people that are just waiting for the will of God. And God doesn't really tell you the specifics. Not usually. Sometimes he does to some people, but usually it's Go to school, work your job, be a good friend, be holy as you're doing all those things, be like Jesus as you're doing all those things. Whatever we're doing, it should be it should be making us look more like Jesus. And and so God knows what's going to happen in our life. God has a will for his, for our lives. God has a direct plan for our lives. But as far as God's will, it's for you to be holy. Now, no one grows holy by sitting on the couch. You have to get up and do things. You have to live this life. You have to go out and be a Christian. You have to be like Jesus. And so, as you are trying things out, as you are going about life, you are in the process of being more and more holy. A way to ensure that you don't become more and more holy is to sit on the couch and wait for God to tell you the next thing to do. When he's already told you, it's my will that you be holy. It's my will that you be sanctified. It's my will that you grow in maturity in Jesus. And so start serving, start working, start giving, start praying. As you do these things, you become more and more like Jesus. Point number three, God calls us to serve. John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear more fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
So Jesus says, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. By the way, that's that's really scandalous. Um, we, we tend to forget about that one. But And then he says, I've appointed you to go bear more fruit. And so if you're looking at your life right now and you're like, where's the fruit? Uh, you, you should be scared if you don't see any results, if you don't see any fruit. Because those who are maturing in Jesus will grow fruit. Those who are maturing in Jesus will have an impact. Those who are maturing in Jesus will be like Jesus because they're serving like Jesus served. Uh, I threw another one in here. This is Paul. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This should give life new excitement. There's a purpose on your life. I think it was the prophet Amos that said, where people don't have any vision, they cast off restraint. That makes total sense. If you have nothing to live for, if you don't have an idea of what you want to accomplish tomorrow, you're not going to do anything to improve yourself today or improve others today. And the whole narrative of the Bible is talking about the kingdom of God. In short, if your life is not devoted to building the kingdom of God, I, I need you to ask yourself, what are you building? Point number four, God calls us to be separate. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What does righteousness have to do? Uh, what does righteousness have in common with wickedness? Or what can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, the devil? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. This is very interesting because we live in a day of syncretism. We live in a day where let's merge this idea and this idea together and let's reconcile them. The problem is some ideas cannot be reconciled because they never were together to begin with. And when you take uh, syncretism, which let me define it real quick because it has two different senses of the word. So in the secular sense, um, syncretism is when you take one idea or one I, or one group and, and another group, another idea, and you merge them together. Um, this can happen politically. This can happen really in any facet of life. Uh, when you come into the church, syncretism is bad. It's totally bad. It's the merging of Christianity with an, uh, another religion or another cult. And by the way, I've heard that the church in the dictionary is called a cult. Um, but really a cult, just to clarify that definition, Webster's wrong, it's the it's when there is an offshoot of, uh, there's a group that, that leeches off of a main religion, and they form their own group. That's a cult. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, um, the Hebrew Israelites, we'll talk about that soon, uh, they're all cults. And Jesus says, be separate from them. And what this passage is telling us, we can't, merge 
all the ideas. We can't all just get along. We can't all just coexist. Because I'll just repeat the questions to you. What does righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship has light with darkness? Have you noticed when you when you turn on a light, where does darkness go? It leaves. Darkness is the absence of light. It's not a co-equal force with light. And so we're and so darkness is not the opposite of light, but it's the absence of light. Darkness is another way to define how light it is. And so you as the light, you as the Christian, don't dim your light. Don't say, well, we can merge. I can work on them. Let me date them and, and they can be saved. Don't date a project. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Where are you going to teach your kids about God? This is why Christians don't marry or shouldn't marry people from other religions. Because you confuse the children and you sign up for a hell of a life. Like a just miserable life. If there is no agreement between you and the other person about who God is, how can you walk together in this life? You can't. And that's what Paul is saying here. And for fear of us looking bigoted or um, like we're excluding people, we don't emphasize this. But this is why a lot of your lives are difficult. You're, you're trying to cut deals with people that don't love God. And as much as we can, we shouldn't do that. We should love our neighbors. We should um, we should invite our neighbors over. We should be hospitable to them. We should, but you know, we 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 can't be friends with them. Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. How? He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. But it wasn't the kind of fellowship that he had with his disciples. It wasn't the kind of fellowship that he had with God the Father. It was, let me be a good friend to you. Let me be a good neighbor to you. Let me be friendly. We're not friends, but let me be friendly. Because in this friendly encounter, I can share with you the light. I can share with you the gospel. I can share with you who I am. But Jesus did not become a sinner in his fellowship. That's the that's the key distinction. Let's keep going. Um, number six, the call God calls us to sonship or, or to be his children. This is 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I want to look at 1 John soon. Uh, this is a great book. But... The thing that is so glorious about this verse is that we are called children of God. And if we're children of God, we're not children of the devil. You can either be one of the two. Everyone is a creation of God. Not everyone's a child of God. It's a difference. And so this is why Christians know who the real God is. This is why we claim to have knowledge that other people don't claim. Do we look bigoted? Do we look like know-it-alls? Yeah. I'd say to the most unhealthy believer out there, we do. But this is why. Because we know God and other people don't. And and what a privilege it is to be a child of God. Number six, God called us to subjection. This is Romans 13 verses 4 through 5. The one in authority is, a, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, 
agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to be sub, uh, to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Here's what he's saying. Submit to the government. Is it perfect? By, by all means, no. In fact, if you, if you study the worldview of the Bible, it's actually the beast. It's actually an arm of the devil. Um, God, the devil uses the government to push forward his gospel, his false gospel, his ideologies, his way of doing things. It's almost like a counterfeit church. But we also need the government because without the government, we would have total anarchy. And a corrupt government is better than complete anarchy. There's this book called Judges in the Old Testament where um, there was no king in Israel, no one in charge, no one on the throne except God, but they rejected God. And there's this line that repeats throughout the book, and it says, people did whatever was right in their own eyes. How tragic. How tragic. And so God calls us to submit um, and, and until until the government tells us to do something that's against our God. That's another episode for another day. Um, but God calls us to submit to the government. Don't storm the Capitol. Uh, number seven. This is this is huge. God calls us to suffer. This is John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have tribu- uh, trouble. Uh, I was going to say tribulation. Reading from the NIV today. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Paul says in Acts 14, 22, it says, um, they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Last one, Philippians 1, 29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The Christian life is one of suffering. And here's the thing. Everybody suffers. The question is, what do you do with your suffering? Are you going to suffer like Jesus did? Or are you going to suffer like everyone else does? Bitter and cursing God and ungrateful and hurt and not looking at the blessings. And I'm not trying to minimize anything that you went through. But I'm just saying, everyone goes through suffering. It's a reality of life. Are we going to be like Jesus even in this respect? These are the seven things that God calls us to. Salvation, sanctification, service, separation, sonship, subjection, and suffering. Happy holidays. I'll see you next time. God bless.